Hey everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue him together. Thank you for listening. Hey again, welcome to episode two of At His Feet. This week we'll title, Go and Tell. We'll get to that a little bit later, but first I just wanted to take the time out and say thank you so much. Thank you to every single person that listened to last episode, every person that shared, liked, commented, all of that stuff on social media that really helped get the word out about the podcast, about the episode, and uh, I, I was so appreciative of every text and uh, message that I received regarding the podcast, a lot of words of encouragement, and I really needed those last week. I honestly, I told one one friend that, you know, the day of, I almost canceled it. I almost said, I am not doing this. I uh, wasn't, I don't know, I just thought, maybe I just shouldn't, but I was really glad that I went through with it. I also received several messages from friends from different churches that we've been to that said, thank you for stepping out. Thank you for doing something you were uncomfortable with because it made me feel like I need to go ahead with the things that I know God has spoken to me. And I love that. I feel like that's what this is about is encouraging one another and And really pushing one another to to do something for God and, and to do the things that the desires that God has placed in your heart because He puts them there for a reason. I also wanted to say thank you. I failed to do this last week. I am for some reason ever since I got married, I don't know, I'm like computer illiterate these days. I am not techie whatsoever. I have no no knowledge. I know how to I know how to work in an office and use all the Microsoft stuff, uh, like, you know, normal secretary work, but that is it. I don't know how to actually do, I guess, real stuff on a computer. This laptop my husband got me, so of course I want to say thank you to him. Uh, I told y'all before, he, he never does anything halfway, and so I was going to do the podcast on my phone with that microphone that he got. And he, of course, is like, no way. You need a you need a new computer. You need an interface system, all this stuff. I don't even know what an interface is, but it's coming in this week. So I'll I'll figure it out then. But I want to just tell him thank you. He, he, uh, he better listen. I was going to say he will listen, but he better. I want to tell him thank you so much for being my biggest cheerleader and biggest supporter. He encourages me so much and he's always in my corner and I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful for that part of his personality that just goes all out because it really helps me because I'm one to kind of stand back and be hesitant and he always just inspires me to do more and to be more. I also want to say thank you to my friend Morgan Hill. She is a a great uh, graphic designer. She went to school for it, so she's the real deal. And she has a a job in that field right now. She does a lot of work for our church as far as graphic design goes. And she's done 
all kinds of projects for me throughout the last few years. Some things aren't actually hung in my home and, and other things, but I am just thankful that she actually made the, the little podcast slide or picture, whatever it's called. I told y'all I know nothing when it comes to this stuff, but I'm thankful for her talent. I'm thankful for her friendship and for her being willing to help me. Also, her husband, Garrett, does photography, and he took our family pictures a few weeks ago, and he's the one that took the picture that I'm using on the slide that Morgan designed on. And he was really patient with me. I hate getting my picture taken by myself. I would love to just, you know, hide behind my kids or something. But he he was like so patient and he didn't laugh at me when I was asking, okay, what do I do with my hands? It's so weird to get your picture taken. I don't know why, for me at least. But I was, um, I'm thankful that he did that for us. Also, our friend uh, David Jennings, he... I guess Taylor called him and said, Hey, Cindy's starting a podcast. Can you help us? And so he came over one night, him and his wife, Bethany, and he set up the program on the computer for me and showed me everything, how to use it. He set up, well, I'd tell you what he set up, but I really don't know. I just know that he set set me up in a way that all I have to do is click record and all the presets are done, and he fixed a jingle thing for me, and he did all kind of stuff. And I'm so thankful that he took the time to do that because he did not have to. He just went above and beyond, and him and Beth are just always been great friends to us, and we're so thankful for them. And I think that's all. Oh, also tonight, uh, thank you to my kids for finally going to sleep so I could finish this. It is midnight actually 12.15, and they went to sleep about 30 minutes ago. And so I'm thankful that they just fell asleep. But I think that's all. I've probably said thank you about 50 too many times, but I am really thankful. And I'm grateful for all the help that I got in starting this because I knew I wanted to do this, but I also, I wouldn't have been able to have gone through it with it as easily as I did because I had so much help from so many other people. If you're looking to do something new, try something new, just jump for it. Go for it and just see how God provides help and provides what you need to get it done. I told y'all last week that we'd be talking about the man of Gadara today and his at his feet moment with Jesus. And so I have, um, my cup of coffee next to me. I have some new creamer in it. It's that Starbucks caramel macchiato creamer, and it is so good. If you haven't tried it yet, you should get it. Our little Silsby Walmart has it, so yours probably does too. Um, let's go ahead and dig into the word today. This story about the man from Gadara, it's told in three accounts. Luke 8, which is what we'll primarily use today. Mark 5. In Matthew 8, but we'll start today in Luke 8, 26, and I'll read it. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to the land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils a long time and wore no clothes. 
neither abode in any house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. You know, there's so much that we can talk about regarding this story. If I started and then I went through every detail of all the things that these three men shared about this demoniac, it couldn't even contain, you know, one episode couldn't even contain it. But of course, today we'll focus on the at his feet moments. First, I point out that the man went and met Jesus outside the city. As soon as Jesus came to the land, it says the man who lived in the tombs left where he was, he had to, and go and met with Jesus. Also, it says that when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. As we continue this story and we dig in, you'll see that the demoniac found a place before Jesus, both before and after his deliverance. This man, when asked his name, replies, Legion. When I looked in the concordance, it said that Legion was a division of the Roman army numbering about 6,000 infantry with additional horsemen. The man said his name was Legion. Even at the level of possession he was at, this man was able to run to Jesus and fall down before him. James 2 and 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Philippians 2 and 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Even the demons know their place. How much more should we know how to find this precious place before Jesus? The story goes on to say that, and I'm summarizing um, really briefly, Jesus casts the demons out of this man, sends them into a herd of pigs, which then run into the sea. The people of this city's response is pretty understandable. That's a lot to take in all at once. It says that the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Maybe I should explain more about their frightened other than even when we hear it, we think, well, yeah, that's crazy. Matthew's account of this event in Matthew 8 says that this man was exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. Before his conversion, before this deliverance, it's like he was the terror of that town. It says that no man could pass by that way. But today, instead of pointing out all of his wrong, I want to point out some things that he made right, some things that he did right that we can learn from. One, in that scripture, says that he was brought to his right mind. It also shows us that he appears in his right place after being delivered, that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He also displays a right demeanor by being clothed and and more put together. 
Even after being demon-filled, he knew his right place. Our right place is at the feet of Jesus. One commentary that I read, and I'll add this. There are these books. My husband has a, a really nice little office at our house. And when we first moved in, he had this idea to do this whole wall of book, a bookshelf. And he had so many books that his grandpa had given to him. I went on and on, and I pushed and pushed trying to get rid of some of these books because I thought, you will never use them. I told him that, actually. And I don't know how much he has used them, but I have pulled out this big stack of red books that I wanted to get rid of more than once. And so now I've kind of had to uh, apologize for trying to get rid of his stuff. And um, they've actually been really useful. But... um. When I when I pulled that out the other day, I was just trying to see what, what they had to say about this man. And something that I read that I really liked said this, The demoniac had reverential affection for his deliverer. Thus he sought to be near him, yet would take the lowest place in his presence from which he might look up to gain with admiring and loving regards. If you listen to episode one, How perfectly does this tie back to us talking about taking the lowest place on the list just to be in His presence, or Mary sitting at His feet just to learn? In taking our place at the feet of Jesus, we say without words, just like this man did, that we have come to ourselves and are now in our right minds. To think of coming to my right mind reminds me of the prodigal son. The word says that when he came to himself, when the prodigal son came to himself, he took his right place in the father's house. He came home saying, I'll take any place here that you have for me. I'll even be a servant. Yet the father made him to be a son. I share that just to say that There is way more than one place to be at in God's presence. It won't always be His feet. There are times when it's His hand, where blessings flow. There's times when it's His face, like what God said about Moses. With Him will I speak, mouth to mouth or face to face, clearly and openly and not in dark riddles. At that place... When he speaks directly to you, it's you don't have to wonder or question or even contemplate the words that he's given you. It's so clear and so obvious what you are to do or what he wants to share with you. There's times when we can go and lay our head on his chest like John the Beloved did. Very much closeness, but in a different way. In this place, we rest and we learn the heartbeat of God. But back to being in our right state of mind. The word tells us that this man stayed in the tombs crying day and night, cutting himself with stones. You know, we're only seeing such a small portion of his story when we read this. We have no clue what this man has been through and what all he has endured through his life to bring him to this point. But we do know you know, from from reading it, 
he had to have endured so much that he felt in after this possession, he felt his only relief that would be was cutting was through tears and self-inflicted torture, depression, suicidal thoughts, and on and on. I have never dealt with some of these emotions, but I can tell you from a thankfully very brief experience that the heaviness that depression places on your mind is so strong. There is this cloudiness that covers your every thought. Everyone in the room can be happy, and if you're you know, dealing with this, there are times that it's like you're all alone or, or you feel that heaviness, that darkness all around you, even if all you can hear around you is laughter. It makes no difference where you are or what you're doing, that, that depression, it, it affects you. Jesus returning this man to his right mind was a wonderful miracle in its own. And a great example to each of us that Jesus cares not only about our outward being in order as he clothed a man, you know, after his deliverance, but also that he wants to reach into our deepest thoughts and place those in order too. And it's easy to point our finger outward when we hear these stories. You know, sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and we feel so far removed from them that we can easily, probably because of our viewpoint, see everything that these people did wrong and everything that we would have done different. But when it's you, when you place yourself in the story, usually, you know, your response is a little different. We could easily say that the bondage and the sin from the prodigal son and the possession for the demoniac is what caused them to not be in their true intended state of mind. But it's worth examining our hearts and searching through our lives. What is it for you? What is it for me that causes my thoughts and my mindset to shift? What is that thing that keeps me from going there with God? What is the thing that has my mind clouded and clouded my judgment, causing me and you to neglect to take our right place? And be in our right mind, where we're thinking clearly and where we're seeing things as they are and not as we've made them to be. After this man, um, I say man because I hate to continually call him the demoniac. Not one of these three accounts tells us his actual name. But I know that once he was delivered, that previous state that he was in no longer defines him. After his encounter with Jesus, he's changed, and everyone could see it. Scripture tells us that he all but begs Jesus to let him follow after him, after he's been changed and he's made new. Yet Jesus told him no. Not no, don't follow after me in your actions, and don't be like me or try to be a disciple in that way. But no, I have something else in mind for you. I have a different plan for you. After such a public conversion like that, I can't blame this man for wanting to leave where he was. I'm not saying he was just desperate to leave because I don't know his every thought and that's not even shared in scripture, but I do see where he wanted to go and follow after Jesus. I do think that 
in his zeal and excitement of his conversion, he wanted to follow this one true God that had control over everything in the earth. The one who holds all power, the one who set him free. But Jesus, being fully God and fully man, knew this man's beginning and end and everything in between. You know, God's viewpoint is so much bigger than ours. And sometimes, no, all the time, He looks down and where we only see, we see our past and we see exactly where we are. But He sees not only our past and our present, but He sees where we're going and where we'll end up. And He knows what we need to be effective. With that knowledge of of God looking down and knowing knowing this man's full story and also knowing his plan for him, his perfect plan for this this newly converted man. God knew that this new newly delivered demoniac would be most effective not going where he was unknown, but going home where he was very known. Every mistake, every past run-in with those around him, Every rumor of what had brought him to that place of such extreme possession and every story of exactly what was going on in the tombs, all of those things, you know, if you ever heard, have you ever heard of that, that telephone game? Maybe you've played it. I know we, we played it in youth services and stuff where on one side of the room, you, you tell, or you make a saying, you know, uh, the purple purse. And then as it goes around this circle, and by the end of it, it's something completely different. Like, I don't know what it would turn out to be. Something seriously just absolutely different. The baby cried, you know, <laughs> like goes from the purple purse to the baby cried. It's crazy. And it honestly, usually the outcome is even crazier than that because people like to add to. But isn't that just like sometimes people's story where you know, what it started out as isn't really what it turns out to be. And and the one who the story's about doesn't even get to clarify. I feel like that was this man, especially in staying home and or going home. Everyone knew his story, but everyone had probably added a little bit, even more. Jesus, one of those who very much knew this man's story, to be just as acquainted with Jesus' ability to turn it all around in a moment, in an instant. I imagined him telling his story for years to come, seeing someone around town who knew him before, and him allowing the healed up scars on his arms from where he would cut himself with stones to tell his testimony for him. God had been so good to this man. And God knew that he would make the most impact at home. There's a reason that everyone who feels called doesn't leave and and do mission work in another country or even go and move to another state or city. God knows where each of us are going to have the ability to reach the most, most people. And I don't know about you, but whatever God wants is what I want. I've been in that place before where I said, God, I will go anywhere. I will do anything. But if you never want to remove me from this place, I will stay and I'll work just as hard. 
And I can tell you it's true. I remember when I first got in the church, my conversion was so fast, so abrupt. You know, honestly, I I, I graduated high school in, in May one way, and in the end of June, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And when I got the Holy Ghost, I'm not kidding when I say I got it at a church camp, and I came home, and anything that I had that I didn't think was pleasing to God— and obviously God works on us in time, but what I knew in that in that very new moment, I got rid of it. Every single thing that I could think of. And um, so it was so fast. You know, uh, people that had seen me not even a month before, if they saw me somewhere else, they would not even know, I guess, what was going on. So I would see people in Walmart or uh, the mall, people that I had been friends with for years, and I don't know if they're being mean by it, but I remember, you know, seeing them and being so excited about what God had done, done for me and wanting to share. And I would go and I would even just say hi, like wave or smile or say hello. And there were people that would all but look the other way, like wouldn't say hi, you know, would make eye contact and just look away. And uh, I had to purpose it in my heart that okay, this is so uncomfortable and it's embarrassing and, you know, it, it it's not fun when when you're not, you know, accepted or, or whatever, but I had to just say, okay, God, I'm not leaving. I'm not hiding. This is part of my story too. And I'll just, I'll just deal with it. Like this man had to go back home and face all that he had been before. Also in that same season, there's a story that my pastor told. This was before I got married, so before I went to the Silsby Church. And um, I don't remember it word for word, but I very vividly remember certain parts of it, so I'll tell what I remember. My pastor talked about when he was younger, I think like an early teenager, about how he, you know, he was raised in the church and he was always just, he was involved in ministry and played instruments and all kinds of things and was always willing to do the work of God. But he said in the back of his mind, there was this thought, you know, being young, this is where, you know, some of this comes from. But he said, but I won't go to Africa. He just, in his mind, that was like the craziest place. And and he would do anything, but he was like, I, I, won't, I won't go overseas. I don't think I'll ever do that. And so it was like there had been this exception to the call of God in his life. But I remember him telling it, and this is what I remember most. He said, one night, in desperation to do whatever God God wanted, he said, God, I'll even go to Africa. And he said he just started weeping as he's fully surrendered to the plan of God in his life. You know, he's never been to Africa, and God has never actually required that of him. But he has been mightily used of God. And it's easy to see that the catalyst for him was just being willing, willing to do anything, willing to go anywhere, willing to operate in whatever facet that God had asked him to. Whether we stay or whether we go, God just asked each of us to be willing. You know, either way, whether you go a million miles away or you never move from the place that God found you. Your conversion and my conversion should always be followed with go and tell. Mark's account of the interaction 
with the demoniac describes Jesus in his departing conversation like this. This is after the man is just asking, please, please let me come with you. Let me follow you. And it says this, Jesus did not let him come, but instead he said to him, go home to your family and tell them all the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Scripture specifically tells how this man obeyed Jesus's go and tell command. It says that when he began to share what Jesus had done, all men did marvel. Wow. All men did marvel. You know what I have found in living for God? In 10 years, I've had a lot of different experiences of trying to share and tell people of, or people asking what I believe or what I, what I live for, you know, all those things. And, you know, people can argue my beliefs. People can argue what exactly is and is not necessary to be right with God. But no one has ever argued with my testimony. No one can say that God didn't change me. Your story is powerful. Whether you've been in church since the day you were born or whether you found God later in life, your story has power and it is so necessary and needed. And God desires you to share it. These people in the Bible that we read about, they couldn't keep quiet after their conversion. Why should we? What's stopping us? One precious woman in the in the book of Luke, several years ago, I probably 2014 maybe, I remember just thinking, I want to know, I, when, I, when I came in the church, I had no, I mean, I knew Noah's Ark and the Ten Commandments and uh, Easter. <laughs> That's it. I didn't have a lot of knowledge. And uh, there's so many stories. Even now I read and I tell my husband, I'm like, did you know that was in here? I've been studying the King's. I've been just blown away by all these different men and all the things that they did. And I tell him, and uh, a lot of times he's like, yeah, I I knew that. And I'm like, well, it's new to me, and it's awesome. But several years ago, I had this desire, and I I wanted to study the women of the Bible. So I bought, like, uh, I think four or five different studies on women of the Bible, and, and some of them were exhaustive, where literally every single day you were studying a different woman, and it was for a whole year. Or I have one that has a page for every single woman that's mentioned in the Bible, whether by name or even not. And there's one woman that I read about that I really, her story just stuck out to me, and I have never forgot what the Word says about her. In Luke She practiced this same command, this go and tell, not because she was told to, but because after her in-person experience with Jesus, she couldn't help but go and tell. When the Bible speaks about the prophetess Anna, she only saw Jesus as a baby. Only three verses contain her story, but I've always loved the way that it says that after seeing Jesus, she spoke of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. An elder who had lived through many things, she finally saw the promised Messiah, 
this devoted woman being allowed to see in person this king, this long-awaited promise was a privilege, and it wasn't one that she took lightly. She knew the prophecies. She knew the Old Testament foreshadowing about this king that would come and save his people. How could she be quiet? She told all that looked for redemption of this Jesus that had come. All. She didn't look and say, you know, it's for this one and not not for that one. And she didn't pick through and think of who she thought wanted to hear it most. It just says she told all. All that looked for redemption. And let me tell you a secret. Having lived on both sides of this message... I can tell you with confidence, every single person that you meet is looking for what our Jesus has to offer. They may not even know it as they fill that God-sized void in their spirit with things that are the total opposite of being described as godly. But even still, everyone is looking for the redemption that we find in Jesus. You might wonder, How do I answer their questions? How do I even start to tell? In Colossians, it says this, Conduct yourself with wisdom in your interactions with outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity, treating it as something precious. Let your speech at all times be gracious and pleasant, seasoned with salt, that you might know how to answer each one who questions you. I think sometimes we make it so complicated, but really it's just making the most of each interaction, waking up each morning with our eyes open and saying, God, lead me today. God, show me someone who who wants you, who's hungry for you, and whether they realize it or not, make me sensitive today. And it says that we'll know, we'll know how to answer them. So it's not so much of being worried about answering every question right, because when we have the Holy Ghost, God will lead us. He'll tell us what to say. He'll tell us who to speak speak to if only we're sensitive and if only we're willing. One more for today's episode of someone who was changed from falling before Jesus and then widely sharing their experience. Peter, who followed this go-and-tell command more than Peter? You know the one who would preach on the day of Pentecost? Who at one altar altar call saw about 3,000 souls added to the church? That Peter. He had one of these moments too. And it, it wasn't actually at Jesus' feet. It was at his knees. He fell at Jesus' knees. But I thought, close enough, and he has a great story. But it was that same posture of falling before Jesus. Before Peter ever preached his first message, he was simply a fisherman. After an uneventful night of fishing, Jesus comes and works a miracle. They caught so many fish that they couldn't even contain them. Jesus had just overwhelmed him, and the word says that Peter fell at Jesus' knees as he was so astonished of what Jesus had just done. In turn, He went to follow Jesus, and this first spark, this first close moment with Jesus is what started a relationship with Jesus that some of us only dream of. This relationship started when 
when Peter responded to Jesus. Jesus showing up by falling before him. There's two things as far as pertaining to this that stand out to me as why Peter made such an effective preacher on the day of Pentecost. One I've already spoke of, which is his first encounter with Jesus that called, caused him to fall at his knees. And two is this moment that he experienced. Many others experienced it too, but he was there for this. And Jesus said, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. How many of us know this scripture by memory, but don't show it in our actions? Me. I'm guilty. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost, there is a new power available to you. Whether you and I choose to accept and access that power is totally up to us, but it's available. It's there. This same spirit that we receive when we are filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, let me just plug in here to say that if you have not received the Holy Ghost or if you haven't heard of being filled with the Holy Ghost, it is for you. Message me, call me, text me, whatever. Let's get together. We'll talk about it, and we can dig into what the Word says about it one-on-one. While speaking of the necessity of receiving the Holy Ghost, Peter, this is Acts chapter 2, the one that we've been talking about says this, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The Holy Ghost is not only for the spiritually elite, only for pastors, or only a gift of the Spirit. It is essential, and it's available to you, to your children, and to all that are far off. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful that when I was afar off, Jesus reached for me. And when I came close, He filled me with His Spirit. We've covered the first half of Acts 1 and 8. You shall receive power. But I really want to zoom in on this part. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Ye shall be witnesses. A witness tells what they've experienced. Not a church card invitation, but what you've experienced personally. Experience is not defined by religion. Experience cannot be put in a box. We must search for opportunities, like I talked about earlier. Be sensitive to go and tell, like Jesus told the demoniac to, and like so many others did once they encountered our God. Not a generic church invite. People get enough of those. But a sincere, honest, open testimony of what you have witnessed, whether it be in your own life or someone close to you, whether it be a spiritual change or a physical healing, God's command to us today and every day is to go and tell. Tell what He's done. Tell what He's seen. Let your at-His-feet experience lead you to be a witness today, tomorrow, every day that you live. 
our goal should be a witness. Next week, we'll be talking about those that found healing at the feet of Jesus. There's no way we could cover them all, but we'll highlight the healing of the ten lepers, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, the woman with the issue of blood, all from different backgrounds, different social classes, yet all of them were in need of healing and knew exactly where to go to find it. Please share this with, of course, anyone that you feel would be blessed by listening, but also click follow or subscribe on the podcast page of wherever you listen uh, so you'll be notified when the next episode drops every other Thursday at midnight. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.